This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Happy St. David's Day, Tom, and to all our GTCC members. Oh, this is a nice touch. It feels like it's come around quite quickly this year, G. Maybe it's just we're having so much fun doing your podcast. I was going to say, yeah, it's definitely the podcast that's making time fly these days, especially through lockdown, isn't it? But did you celebrate St. David's Day then? or Yeah, I didn't at the time, G, and I realise now this was a significant oversight for the chairperson of the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. So my promise to you is that I'm going to go back and celebrate it properly how should I be celebrating St. David's Day? Oh, just have a Welsh cake, mate. It's probably the easiest thing to do at the minute, isn't it? With all the recipes we've got flying in, it's be pretty simple now. It's not as punchy as St. Patrick's Day then, because that's a little bit livelier. I'm not knocking the Welsh cake. I'm just conscious there's no booze that you've you've stuck on the St. David's Day list for me. Well, yeah, I'm not. you can definitely get some Pender and whiskey in you or oh, some cheeky. Brains beer or... Oh, yeah, mate, if you want, you can go full hog. You can dress up as well as one of those, you know, the, the Welsh women with the bonnet thing on their head and go full hog, mate. Maybe one of the anthropomorphic daffodils that you get at the Six Nations, you know, when someone turns their whole face into a daffodil bulb. <laughs> yeah, and a few leeks. <laughs> wave them around. Leeks are always good. <laughs> so talking of Welsh cakes, what does a good Welsh cake need? Well, to be fair... People like adding a lot of different stuff these days, don't they? Which is fine, you know, like our GTCC members. We're up for anything and everyone. But for me, if I had to choose, I'd definitely go traditional route. Just a bit of sugar on top, you know? I took some Welsh cakes once to the team around the classic sort of time. And guys, we started putting like Philadelphia spread on them and jam. and Yeah, I wasn't up for that. But yeah, whatever floats your boat. Well, people have been getting in touch. This seems to have got people... Super excited, G. We had a message from Sid Gaskin who posted a picture of his first attempt at making Welsh cakes oh, I in saw our this. Facebook group. You Sorry. see this? Yes. He got a fair amount of heat, poor old Sid. Um, <laughs> looking at the comments, I think the mistake he's made is that he's used the oven. I understand this is a big no-no, that he should have used, what, a, a bake stone or a sort of super heavy bottom frying pan? Yeah, like a griddle type thing, I guess. Yeah, definitely not the oven, though. Okay, then we had uh, a message from Chad Wilson. Chad says, as an American, I have no idea what a Welsh cake is. I need a Welsh slang slash food interpreter. So, Chad, um, if you need a recipe, gee, I believe you've got a beauty. Yes. So, Sean Evans sent in a handwritten family recipe, actually. So, here goes. Eight ounces of self-raising flour, four ounces of butter, three ounces of sugar, four ounces of sultanas, raisins or mixed fruit, one egg, and Dad always added a pinch of mixed spice. Now, yeah, good on you, Dad. I definitely recommend that, bit of that. Right then, so you heat up your griddle. There you go, Tom, no oven, no oven involved. To medium temperature. You mix in your flour, butter, and sugar together and add the fruit. Mix in an egg, roll it out and cut into circles. She's also added children love bears and ducks. I can vouch for that as well. And cook for two minutes on each side of the griddle. Welsh cakes can be served plain with butter or being indulgent with cream and jam. Well, you know my thoughts on that, Tom, but yeah, there we go. Lovely. 
delicious. And we can probably stick that recipe on our social channels as well. If that was too quick a read for you, didn't have a pen to hand, we'll stick it on Facebook, we'll stick it on Twitter, we'll stick it on Insta. We've also had a message, G, from Alid Daniel, who I'm guessing with that first name is Welsh. He has sent his granny's recipe, uh, which includes a little bit of milk. But he says uh, they're never quite sure how much milk. But his little tip, or his granny's tip, lemon rind and a little dash of grated nutmeg. Oh, interesting. Did you see this, Jeez? Well, we got a really nice picture sent to us by Alex Hicks. It's of three-year-old Susie baking Welsh cakes using her mamgies recipe during lockdown. He also emailed to say, we lost my late mum to pancreatic cancer five years ago. So sharing her recipe with the club is another small way we can continue her memory. That's nice, isn't it? So this recipe actually includes a little pinch of salt. He says they can also work with chocolate chips if you fancy mixing it up. Lovely. So keep an eye out on our socials this week, guys, and uh, we'll be sharing all the recipes with you. Right, enough food talk anyway. Let's crack on with the pod. Welcome along to a brand new podcast called 21st Century Football, a complete guide. Well, so far that is. This podcast is all about celebrating the best of the world's most beautiful game, but only if it happened in the 21st century. This series is all about championing the greatest footballers of the last 20 years. Each week we'll have a variety of hosts, including YouTube star Statman Dave Stephen Tries. Got that underwear range. You've got a pair on now, haven't you, Stephen? No, no. I soiled mine this morning. <laughs> and myself, Will Brazier, will also feature radio legend Adam Brown. Find us on your regular podcasting sites, as well as our brand new YouTube channel. Search 21st Century Football. It sound right, boy. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human. They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential, even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely. And it's not just any old ad this either, you know, to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod. But I genuinely feel like it does help kind of lather it on wherever you want, whatever muscles are working. So, yeah, bang it all over my legs for any hard session or, uh, yeah, time trial. Well, there's studies as well that show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And you can benefit too with 25% off your next purchase using the code GTCC25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Okay, time for another proper cycling pod, I think, Tom, because they seem to be going down really well with our club members. So this week, I've gone for breakaways. I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, there's so much to get into with breakaways. There's always a break, isn't there, in every day of a of a stage race. It's just a question of whether it stays away. I'm thinking of, I mean, there's so many great break days. Do you know what I'm thinking of straight away? And this is maybe a slightly different sort of break because it's a, it's a solo break. And most solo breaks are glorious but doomed. I'm thinking of Chris Froome on the Fenestre at the Giro in 2018. Is that maybe the greatest solo break of all? Definitely in recent history, for sure, because it wasn't just, or you say just a breakaway, but it was for GC as well. 
you know, so so many people wanted that back, and uh, yeah, he won the race that day. So yeah, I'd say for sure in, in recent history that is the best. One that pops to my mind as well is when Brad went in a solo breakaway. There was always doomed. It was in 2007 tour, my very first tour. They seem to be dying out though. The the solo break and mm. you know, I think coming from a pure fan's point of view, I think they should they should continue. There should be more, just like long stages. Yeah, get you got to have a long stage in the tour because that's what used to happen but um then coming from a pro's perspective i don't really want to go and break for 230k <laughs> no one i'm just going to get caught so but yeah come on guys someone needs to take one for the the peloton and, and keep that keep that going what you're saying is you want some cannon fodder <laughs> uh yeah basically but there's something sort of romantic about it you know when you're a kid and like it used to definitely happen a bit more okay maybe sort of like the the less strong teams, but yeah, we need a bit, we need to keep that alive. Definitely. It's often someone from one of the pro Conti teams, isn't it? The sort of second division or the championship level to use a football analogy of cycling. So it's a wanty group go bear. It's a total energy. It's, it's one of those sponsors who um, they've paid their money and they want to see a return on it. They want to be watching it in the finish area and uh, pointing at the TV screen in front of all their mates and just going, yeah, it's my team. That's my team. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, the chances they're going to get in the tour of winning the stage is a few and far between. They obviously have a chance, but, you know, if they can get the exposure for five hours on, you know, it's broadcast all over the world. So, yeah, come on, boys, get out there, get up the road. So what we're saying is that the GTCC is a break-friendly club. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Just not on a club ride, though. Don't be attacking on a club (laughs) ride, like on our Zwift rides. It's just, it's a social ride, that is. Once we got numbers on our back, oh, it's doggy dog then. Just go from the gun, do whatever you want. But yeah, keep it social on our uh, little Zwift rides. Yeah, anyone on our six o'clock Wednesday evening regular Zwift club rides who launches off the front with a kilometre to go is suspended for a week. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying as, <laughs> as interim chairman. Okay, to go isn't so bad. They can be, okay, a one week suspension. But the further out it is, the more weeks they get. So if it's from the start, you've got a year ban coming your way. So (laughs) behave. Right, G, this is a a complicated one, isn't it? The the, the topic we're doing today. So we we need an expert. We need a really good guest on this one. Who have you brought in for us? Yeah, so I went for an old teammate of mine. And basically he was known for getting in breakaways and not just any old breakaway, one that is likely to succeed. And by the end of his career, everyone was sort of looking at this guy if he's there, then the break's likely to, to go. So, yeah, thanks for joining. Welcome, Steve Cummins. Thank you. How are you, mate? Really good. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Yeah, I could have given you a bit more of a big up, listed off some of your Palmares, but I thought I'd leave that to you. Just so everyone knows, your biggest, the biggest wins. You've had two stages of the tour, right? Uh, yeah, two stages of the tour. Stage in the Vuelta, stage in Tirreno, stage in Pays Basque, stage in Dauphiné, Tour of Britain. Not so that, not bad. It's not a lot, but so an Algarve in there as well. Are you doing? You, are you doing yourself down? Wasn't there a, a cheeky win on the Algarve? You beating Contador? Yeah, there's a few. There's a few little victories like that, but they, they weren't really breakaways. They were just other stuff. Ordinary wins. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they were good, you know. But it, yeah, it's it, it's not like G, you know. It's uh, small victories in comparison. So they're all good, mate. I've got so many questions, Steve, because I think this is a really, really good topic. So I'm going to start off with a. A few simple ones, right? Who decides who's in the break? 
Well, it depends. It depends on the on the scenario, you know. Um, it depends. Yeah, like I say, it depends on the stage. So if it's a stage that's controllable, if the start is controllable, then normally a sprinter's team or a team that want to control the race can dictate who is in the break. Maybe it's because the road is narrow. Maybe it's because the road is wide. Maybe it's because they have so many numbers. And if there's two or three teams or four or five teams that want the same outcome, then it's much more easy to control. If the terrain is more mixed and it and the road is wider or the road is more technical and the road is more up and down, then it becomes much more difficult to control the start of the race. And that's they were the kind of stages that I kind of liked because it becomes like a like a game like you have to be strong you have to be fit and um, you can really like hurt the opposition if you like do you get breaks from the word go because when we're watching on TV sometimes people will join it late in the stage and sometimes the, the TV coverage just doesn't start from from when the flag drops so is there stuff that we don't see on TV that you guys will have seen like constant sort of proto breaks going off the front and then getting pull back before whoever it is decides actually this this is the break for today yeah I think um there are some days I, I don't know I haven't watched too much of the tour you know because I've generally been in it but I think uh it's a good excuse my... G to be fair <laughs> but um the first some of the days like the stage that the Steve does well in are the days where everybody at the start line knows a breakaway is very likely to succeed at least sort of 80 percent chances going to go and everybody knows it so everybody that isn't in a team really fighting for the yellow jersey you know is is trying to get in that break and it can race full gas for an hour minimum you know it can go for hour and a half whatever and a lot of that probably isn't shown on tv if it if they're not broadcasting from the very start you know and then they could cut through to halfway in the stage and then the breakaways formed and then the peloton are riding a bit steady behind and it can look easy and just sort of laid back but those starts, like especially as Steve was saying, if they're up and down at the start, or even if you start up a, sometimes you start up a, a mountain, you know, eight, ten k mountain, and well, they they are by, by far the hardest stages because you know it's just from the gun, just boom out of blocks. There's been times as well, like the tour. I think in 2020, there wasn't even a a breakaway one stage, you know. So it's got. I think more and more teams either have a sprinter now or someone they believe can ride GC. So I think it's less and less of that sort of couple of guys going off on a, a long flat day. And there's been times when guys have just sort of like been pushing each other and like, you know, taking the mickey, trying to get someone to go. You know, nobody wants to go because they're like, well, what's what's the point? I'm going to be out in front for 160k, just head against the wall, basically. So Steve, are people... Certainly towards the end of your career, when you'd had the big win over the cold Aspan and then the one in into Mond, did it make it harder? Like the more success you have as a sort of breakaway specialist, does that not just make it harder? Is, not, is everyone not just like watching you and go, oh, Steve's off, right, follow this one? Yeah, so in 2016, that was my best year probably. So I won in the, the first race of the year, I won in Tirreno from a breakaway, then I won in Pays Blast from a breakaway, then I won in Dauphiné from a breakaway, and then I was at the Tour, and I think I was it's fair to say I was quite heavily marked, but I saw it as a game actually. And uh, I had nothing to lose and I just had to change the strategy a little bit. So um, very patient and use other riders almost as sort of stepping stones and try and create the scenario, the ideal scenario for me and not ever, never try and force anything because you can't, you can't force everything. You're not that strong, you know, so you have to sort of ride off other people. So um, I, I really enjoyed that side of it, like the thinking side of it. 
Yeah, it is definitely tough to to make it happen. I think, like Steve says, you have to sort of choose your moments. Like you're almost like, well, I've got three goes at this. You know, if you're jumping all the time, you're just wasting so much energy. And like, if you try and go with every move, it's just not going to happen. So you kind of, especially a day where everyone knows it's a break, you know, it's going to take a while. So you maybe gamble a bit. You sit in the middle of the group for half an hour, 45 minutes. And you're like, right, okay, I'm going to try now. But yeah, there's a bit of luck to it. But then it's also definitely an art as well, because it's no surprise that the same sort of guys seem to always get in it as well. So how do you decide, Steve? Let's say you've made a break successfully. Let's say there are five or six of you. How do you decide how much work you personally should do? Because you obviously want this break to stay away, so there must be an inducement to to getting on the front and driving the pace. But I'm guessing, too, you just want to save as much energy as possible. Yeah, well, ideally, that's the thing. So that would be my primary thought, save as much energy, like do as little as the guy who's doing the least but sometimes you have to look at it and go, hang on a minute, I'm the favourite here. I can drop all these guys. I kind of need those guys. So that's they're the kind of moments where you might invest more if the peloton was closing. But So it's kind of situational, but I'd, I'd say generally you're looking. I would be looking to do as little as the guy that was doing the least. Because you, you, like G says before, you, you don't really have control. It's the peloton behind that has the control. So sometimes it's just... It's just about that initial combination going at the start, which is a good combination, and it's too difficult for the peloton to bring back. There's no better stage, though, than when the peloton is chasing, but they've misjudged it, and the breakaway ends up staying away. Like, there's done a few stages where Tour Down Under stands out, and it ends up, it's slightly downhill, suddenly it's a raging tailwind. Well, not suddenly, everyone knows it, but the teams have just misjudged it. Normally, they're like, oh, we can bring back... I don't know, three minutes over the last 50k easily, normally. But then suddenly they got this raging tailwind, just slightly downhill. And then suddenly the guy's like in the peloton going flat stick. You know, there's like, could be three or four teams chasing. Suddenly one of those riders are gone, another rider comes up. And that's why the peloton has the power so much because there's so many boys to ride, basically, if needed. Yeah, it is something really satisfying, like even if you're not there, but just to see the breakaway stay away especially when the peloton are so keen to, to bring it back. Are you doing little deals on the spot, Steve? So let's say in this scenario we gave you there, there's there's five or six of you in, in this break and you're all wanting to do as little work as possible. Does someone become almost like the, the patron, the boss of, of the breakaway saying, listen, we need to keep going here because otherwise the break's done. So listen, you do a minute, then you do a minute. Or are you even sort of getting more subtle than that going, listen, if you do me a favour here, I'm going to do you a favour in two days' time. Mm, not really I think it is uh, it's just it, I don't know it's almost like an unwritten professional etiquette that you just roll through you know and there's it depends how big the group is it's, if it's if there's six riders or eight riders it's quite obvious if someone's missing a turn if there's 28 riders then you do always get that there's always one guy that wants to do much less or there's always his DS saying oh you know so um, well that's his that's his excuse Oh my DS is telling me to sit on. <laughs> they always try that one. <laughs> yeah, so it just depends on the on the scenario. But generally, if you get these hard starts, what what happens is you get hot, you get good riders in the breakaway, and good riders are strong riders, so they don't really shirk the work because there is if everyone wants to be wants to make it a success for their own chances to win, so everyone sort of commits. But that's why I never bothered with going in the breakaway 
when it wasn't going to be good riders because that's when you start getting all those turn dodges and, and <laughs> like like yeah because there's nothing there's nothing worse than that talking about turn dodges i remember one stage it was 2011 tour right and uh i was in the break with edvald we were in the same team edvald bosenhagen edvard bosenhagen yeah norwegian guy quality rider there was about 10 of us in the break it had 30 40 seconds it's like why well, this is it this is this is going to go now but it turns out it's towards the back end of the race and suddenly Garmin or some team had missed it and they were ended up racing for Team GC, which is like kind of rare really. But basically Team GC is your best three riders every day. So it can be different riders every every day. But basically you take the cumulative time of your best three riders, whatever. Um, and they, had, they were racing for nothing else really. So Team GC was their priority. And so they started chasing this break because... There was whoever was second or third had a guy there and they didn't. So they're like, right, we need to bring this back because otherwise we're going to lose this Team GC. And the guy that was in there was Linus. I uh, can't remember. We called him Linus the penis because he was Gerdeman. <laughs> Gerdeman. <laughs> or penis, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> and uh, he was he was the reason they were chasing and he was sat on. And I, I was like going nuts to him. I was like, what are you doing? Just sit up and go back. Or at least, you know, pull a turn. Like give, you know, help the rotation, help us go quicker. But he would just sat on the back and Garmin chased full gas for, yeah, 15, 20k. Ended up bringing it all back together. And then another break immediately went and I actually missed that. Eddie Edvald got back in it, to be fair, and went, ends up winning the stage. So it was all right for us in the end, but... For that situations like that, uh, there's nothing more frustrating, really, is there? No, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you become pretty unpopular quite quick doing stuff like that. But it, it, what goes around comes around. You know, you race like year after year with the same people, so you know. And um, it's not it's not wise, I think, to to be a guy like that because there's certain situations, not just in the breakaway, but in the peloton, where yeah, if, if you're not liked, it's not helpful because uh, you can almost people don't want to help you or people won't move out your way or, or whatever. So it's better to have a good relationship and, and um, be respectful to the breakaway and respectful to cycling. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a little black book in my head where people I just don't let out of. A, <laughs> if there's a gap and they're like, oh, GG, you know, and there's a car coming up or something and you need to move out, <laughs> he's, you're going in the car, mate, unless you break. Like, I'm not letting you out. <laughs> right, come on, like, I, want one name, yeah. I want one name from this black book. <laughs> Uh, maybe in a couple of years when I've retired, but you know, <laughs> I need to stay out of the black books as well, mate. Yeah, maybe you're in other people's black books. <laughs> they used to have a, a list, a list, you know, and Dimension Data. They used to write that on the on the list. Like he was, he was the guy that pissed you off the, the most. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who topped that list? On each day, I was, I was never involved. It's always Bernie, Calvin, Renshaw that were writing, and they just vent their anger and on the, on this list. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine quite I, uh, a few being in Cav's handwriting. <laughs> I just never go there. Well, I think the guy I don't know. I probably shouldn't say, but Ed, uh, Petit, he was called. You know, remember Petit? He was like uh, Adrian Petit, I think, or something like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Is, it, is I he in yours, Jude? Is it, is, is it? Can you cross-reference that with your black book? <laughs> I wouldn't know. He's not. He's, the thing is, he's probably a lovely guy. He's just a, a bloody menace on the bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing there's like uh there's a few guys who are like everyone just sort of hates and then you speak to the teammates like oh yeah but he's all right when he's in your team and then the next year 
the next year he's left that team and they're like, oh, he's such an asshole, isn't he, that guy? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for another day. In that scenario, Steve, would you give someone a bollocking? Uh, it, you know, the six of you and someone's not doing their turn. No, no, no. I never talk really too much in the race. <laughs> Why? Because you, you're going hard. I, I, I just tell them, you know, like, what are you doing? You're... Or I'd just say, okay, we stop and we'll go back to and all this effort's wasted for nothing. And, and then I'd say, like, I'll win tomorrow, so don't worry. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That's even worse. That's like when your mum tells you a problem and your dad just does this quiet voice and the, the dad bit is the more scary. That's what you're doing there, Steve. It's this quiet menace. Yeah, I think the thing is, like, some people, I remember I was in Austria and I'd won quite a lot of races and I didn't get selected for the tour. And there was one kid there and he's like, yeah, yeah, you're a big professional and all this. And I can't pull. And I said, look, I said, I don't care. I won a lot of races now. I don't care. If you want to win a race, you have to pull, you know, you might not be strong enough, but there's only one way to find out. And if you don't pull, then we'll go back. And I, like I say, it didn't change my life. So he started to pull. <laughs> <laughs> Did you stay away? I broke my bike and threw my bike against the wall. Do you remember that? <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the gif. <laughs> there's a gif I'll... on it, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Steve says he doesn't talk too much in that, but he definitely, I think he learned that. Because I think it's safe to say, Steve, you were a bit more hot-headed back in your earlier years. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, all that stuff with Steve Peters and the chimp. <laughs> the chimp was like, the chimp, the chimp was raging wild. But yeah, after, <laughs> as you grow, you get a bit more wisdom and you learn to try and keep the chimp in the box or at least feed it a banana or whatever. And again, so yeah, <laughs> I, you develop, don't you? You evolve, so. There was one stage actually in, in one of my first years as a pro in Portugal. We weren't in the break actually. I think we were in the Gruppetto, the back group. And uh, I don't know what happened, but Steve, uh. I, think it, <laughs> I think it, I think Steve's just twigged what I'm saying. And uh, I don't even, I think it was to do with like, you just giving a turn on the front. Cause you know, when you're at the back, you need to get within the time limit. Like you have to finish within a certain percentage of the winning time. So we were like, we all need to just contribute just to make sure we get to the finish here. And I think somebody wasn't and started giving Steve a bit of shit. Next thing I hear is just Steve, just like hands off the bars, big, like, like the Hulk, just like, ah, launches his bottle down, <laughs> water everywhere. This guy, sure enough, he started to ride anyway. So it worked. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was eventful with Steve. It was always good fun. It just uh, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. I just don't understand what what some people think, and that's when I would get frustrated. But like I say, when I was older, I didn't get frustrated. But when I was younger, gee, witness it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst part though, as well, is when the breakaway's gone, and there's a few teams, more so GC teams, they want the breakaway to come back. But it's like a game of like poker. Then it's like, oh, we'll pull when you start, and then they're like, no, well, we'll start when you start, and then. Or they blame another team. Well, we'll start when they start. And then suddenly, before you know it, like there was a race in Spain one year, Catalonia. And to be fair, the the time gaps messed up as well. So they were getting the wrong time checks. But suddenly, they messed around that long and they were like, no, you go, you go. The breakaway had about 15 minutes by the end. And then it was a massive, like huge chase. The last 50k super fast everyone panicking you know all the directors in the cars behind going nuts like oh you need to chase blah 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 and uh i think the breakaway ends up still winning by about five minutes and someone from that break almost won the race overall which was which would have been a huge like surprise but yeah it's always it's nothing worse than like teams sort of like just put your cards on the table that's one thing that the sky were always pretty good at 
which sort of maybe worked against us in the end at times. But we'd just be like, right, yeah, we're up for this. We've got a guy who can perform, so we're just going to start riding. You know, a lot of other teams a bit more like, like Green Edge or Mitchelton. They'd, they'd be a team that would never ride. He'd always be like, you, you got the Yates boys. Like, they could easily win this race. Just commit. But yeah, it's just different tactics, teams, whatever. Right, explain to us, Steve, why the peloton doesn't, if it can catch a break, why it will often just dangle a break at, a, at what will be conceived as a sort of a safe distance in front. Why the peloton often doesn't want to catch a break too soon. So normally that the reason for that is because if they catch the breakaway too soon, what what can happen is then you'll get like a counter attack. So it'll, the whole process will start again, and you'll get a group of fresh riders um, that will start that process again. Then you got to like rechase. So I think that's the reason why. Even though it, yeah, it's it's, it's there's always like that window where you want to keep it so to stop like the counter attack. So when it's like the moment, right, you say, right, now we're going to close it. That's got to be so where you catch them like pretty close to the finish where the speed's so high that no one can jump away. So, yeah, so you want to keep that. You have to keep the gap fairly high to because um, if the gaps comes like, let's say one minute, for example, then it, it, it becomes there's an opportunity there for a counter attack and riders to go across. So you have to keep it always regulated. And also from the chasing side of things as well, Tom, you get the chasing team has to judge it as well. For instance, if in the tour, stage 12, whatever, and we're riding, as in Ineos, say we've got the yellow jersey for argument's sake, we're riding. We don't want the gap to go massive because then potentially the breakaway could stay away and you're just going to have to ride all day. So you want other teams to have that hope that, yeah, it's still catchable. Then you don't want it to be too close because then they'll take longer to come and start helping you chase, if that makes sense. So you kind of want to get that happy medium where other teams feel like they can still go for the win, but you want them to come, well, earlier the better, really. And there was one thing that Nico Portal, who passed away last year, actually, but he would always say he he will never go to another DS and never go to another team to ask them to ride because it's a sign of weakness. So we stick to our plan. This is what we're doing. And when other teams come, they come, but he's not going to somebody else and saying oh can you ride with us please because well yeah it shows a bit of weakness basically everyone wants to do the minimum possible and it's a way of trying to get somebody else to do the work for you really and then in front in front they slow down sometimes you know they're like oh the peloton are only letting us have three minutes say so we're going to slow down so then they slow down so it makes the peloton slow down because the peloton don't want to catch them then too soon so it's just a massive game of cat and mouse and uh yeah, it's uh, a lot of calculations going on on the road, I think. What's that feeling like if you are in a break and it's touch and go whether it's going to stay away and then the peloton does catch you and it catches you where it wants, maybe sort of a kilometre out? Because on TV, it's almost almost the most devastating thing where you see someone who's absolutely smashed themselves to pieces trying to stay away and it's the point they just glance over their shoulder and they see the hounds chasing them down and they just think, uh-oh, it's over. What's the feeling like? Oh, you're gutted, aren't you? But uh, yeah, that's that's the risk. That's the risk, isn't it? But if you, at least you're disappointed you didn't get the result because you're so close, but then you can also be proud. You know, sometimes you have to think about the performance and you can break it down. You can think about, oh, I did really well. You set positives out of it. Like I did really well to get in the break. Um, I give it my all and just and another day it might have worked. And uh, 
think you have to think about it like that. But there's definitely that the period you have to get that takes you to get over. Bloody hell, we were so close. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's been a time when I was actually the one catching them. So my very my first stage win in 2018, like road stage, I caught Mikel Nieve, who was an ex teammate of mine. I think 250, 250 metres to go. He'd been in the breakaway all day and we finished up a mountain. I don't know, it must have been 8 or 10k long. So he's, you know, he's had a big buffer and then suddenly the race behind starts. And once, you know, the GC guys, once you start racing, like, you know, you've been sheltered all day. You're a lot more sort of fresher than the guy in front who's been, you know, away all day riding. And I actually, well, I didn't feel that bad for him really because I'd won, but, you know... <laughs> I like the guy, so it was a bit like, oh, yeah, sorry, mate. But, yeah, it's got to be tough, for, you know, when it's so close like that. Because that would have been, I think, his first tour win. So, um, but, yeah, there we go. Also, as well, you know, for some of these riders, a rider like that, it's, it's maybe that, that might be it. That might be his only ever, it might be so close. So, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes. It's cruel, isn't it? You went past him so quickly that day, G, as well. I remember uh, watching it and... That was a strange thing because, as you say, you'd you'd been sitting in the wheels and then the race just accelerated. And he must have thought, Mikhail Neve must have thought for a fair amount of that last climb up to La Rosière, he must have thought, this is it, this is my moment. And then, lo and behold, his old mate comes past him, ruins his day. Yeah, I think it was probably one of those where it's a roller coaster of emotions, you know, probably halfway through the stage, he was like, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, a bit later on, oh, yeah, no, we can do this. And then thinking, ah, I don't know. And then suddenly, yeah, on that climb, you probably thought, well, this is it now. I've got a chance. But yeah. And then I think it showed how dejected he was. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. He's a mate. But um, <laughs> like in those 250 metres, I think he lost about 20 seconds. Like he he went from first to maybe like fifth, you know, and just... But yeah, that's the way it is, isn't it? And you'd never give up a a stage of the tour or any stage really is there anything else Steve that you might do I heard this story once uh, about Thomas de Ghent um, who we're going to say in your presence is the uh, second best breakaway rider of the last uh, 10 years how he would deliberately lose time over the opening days of a grand tour so that he in no way could be a threat to any of the jerseys and therefore he would be more likely to stay away in a break yeah no exactly that's it you like the GC, that's why people say, "Oh, why are you riding the back?" It's like, okay, well, yeah, well, why am I riding at the front? I'm here to win on this day, this day, and this day, or to to at least try and win on the rest of the race. I'm just trying to get from A to B, and it's probably beneficial that I've lost time on GC because then, if you're a threat on GC, you get less leeway once you're in the break. That they won't give you as much time from behind. So if you're not a threat on GC, you get more leeway, and there's more chance um, that you'll stay away. So. It's yeah, it's beneficial to lose time. So these are all considerations. Yeah, yeah. I remember going back to the sky days again when Froome had the jersey and we started up quite a hard mountain. And there was a rider, uh, Roland Pierre Roland, French guy, and um, he's still racing now actually. But he was fairly close on GC. I say fairly close. You know, five six minutes. And when you've got the yellow jersey, you kind of the further from GC they are, the better. So you can just you can just let them go, you know, you, you don't have to ride hard behind, you know, they can have 10 minutes at the finish and they'd still wouldn't be a threat. But he was at that stage, which was just on the limit. So it's better to not let him go if possible. You know, if it really like shit hit the fan and it was got really hard, then you'd let him go. But at this stage, we were still sort of controlling and he'd attack two or three times. And, you know, every time we'd slowly accelerate and catch him. And then after a while, he was like, why don't you let me go? And we were like, why are you too close? You, you, we're not going to let you go. And then he was like, oh, 
Okay. And then he stopped. And then the break <laughs> went. The best guy was 12 minutes and happy days for everyone. And then, you know, but <laughs> probably he should have been a, a little more switched on to actually realise that. But um, yeah, all sorts of things like that come into it as well. Yeah, I, I think that's like the interesting thing. That's what I used to find fascinating in the start, like the combinations. You talked about it before, like uh, some people are going in the break to try and get green jersey points or Kingdom Mountain jersey points or... Yeah, so sometimes they're going in the break to be like a uh, like a like I talked about before a stepping stone for their teammate to come across to. So there's all those those kind of considerations. And when you look at that start list in the morning, you look at the stage and you can you can start to pick out what which teams are doing what, and and that that helps you then like who you follow at the start, who you might not want to follow, and stuff like that. It's it's there is like a real I would say I don't know if it's science, but there's definitely a deep a deep it's necessary to think about it and plan definitely yeah the big GC teams is definitely like right don't let anyone from them them or them go you know anyone else can go but these three teams don't let any of them go and generally you get that a lot I would have thought like with the sprinters it's the same for instance say you've got Caleb Ewan Cav and Sam Bennett who are all top sprinters in different teams uh, Caleb's team would be like, right, don't let anyone from Cav or Sam's team go because if they go, that means they won't ride and help us chase the break back. So, um, yeah, you have a list of definitely not them teams and then the rest is, as we were saying, it, it, the combinations then and everything. And so, so Sometimes you miss something and you're like, what, 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 why does he keep following me, this guy? Or why is this team always here? And then it clicks <laughs> and you're like, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, so you you got to do your prep. you got to do your prep. <laughs> I like the idea that you you have to be an opportunist, Steve, as, as much as all those calculations. So thinking about your your tour win in 2015 on stage 14 up to Mond, which is uh, the route you did in 2018 as well, G, didn't you? Up the um, yeah the uh, Monte de Jalabert, they call it. So if you haven't seen it before, this is a, uh, what is it, about 5K, that climb? Four, Can five, three. Oh, no, short, four. short but Let's steep, isn't it? Six okay. or seven. <laughs> <laughs> And then you've got this long flat bit on top of the mountain, which is which is an airstrip. So, Steve, talk us through that afternoon. You're up against two French heroes, Thibaut Pinot, Romain Bardet. How come you were the one who came out on top? So, ideally, so I was in this in this group. I think there's 28 of us, something like that. And um, I'm looking at the group, and you're looking at the names, and there's there's good climbers there. There's like Uran was there. He's better climbed than me. Pino better climbed than me. Bardet better climbed than me. Simon Yates. Or Adam, yeah, I think it was Simon. Better Both climber than me. There was, yeah, <laughs> they were all all these like great climbers, and and like you say, the, the characteristics of the finish was it was too hard, really. So I wanted to to attack from distance, ideally, but I couldn't really because Pino had two teammates or even three teammates there, so they were just going to control it. So it, it made no sense because if I'd have attacked, okay, maybe I'd have got thirty seconds, and like we were talking about before with teams controlling it and just leaving they just left me there hanging really and then caught me at the bottom so I had I had no choice really I was forced into that situation and I wasn't thinking about winning I was just thinking I just removed myself from the race in a way and just thought right I'll hit this climb I'll use them to draft a little bit at the bottom where the gradients where you get where it's beneficial to be in the wheel and then when it gets steep I'll just time trial and that's that's all I can do. All I can do is make sure I I come to the top of this climb with everything, with all like everything I've got, and that's it. That's and then we can see from there. And then when I, so when I summited 
you know, I was going up the climb after a K. I was like, oh, I'm all right here. I'm like halfway through the, I might get top 10. And I was like, okay, and now I pass you 80. Oh, bloody hell, this is all right. And then I pass Uran, and it's like, oh, this is good. And then I can see, uh, I can see Pino, and then I can see Bardet, and Bardet's all wobbling. He keeps looking over his shoulders. And uh, luckily for me, Pino caught Bardet, and they kind of, that was it. They both looked at each other, and that was all I needed just to get the uh, momentum and sort of catch them. And then, it flips then because then we're on like it's better terrain for me you know it's a slightly downhill flat and uh for me it was just like i couldn't believe it i was laughing i was like i can't believe this i'm gonna win a stage here but uh you still you still gotta <laughs> like execute it you know you still gotta it would be easy to to make a mistake like under you know you just panic and you're like wow this is a moment you've been waiting for and uh yeah luckily i did i didn't panic stayed calm and yeah executed it yeah because basically steve those two, they didn't stop. But as you say, they looked at each other and that gave you the chance to, that, as you say, that slight downhill, you took a run at them, just hit them like yeah. how, what, 500 to go or something. And uh, they were both suddenly just like, oh, oh shit. Like there's us just <laughs> thinking, oh, how am I going to win this? And next thing you know, Steve's flying past like 10K an hour quicker and race over for them and Steve crosses the line. And was that man's, uh, Nelson Mandela day as well? Or was that the other win? Yeah, no, that was that was Mandela Day, but there's things like that, you know. So I caught them, and I, I had to because they they kind of like um, how would you call it, like concertinaed out out to the road, the two of them, because they, they they basically stopped cooperating, I think. And um, as I caught them, they kind of got in my way, so I had to feather my brake, and then that just gave them when I had to feather my brake, that just gave them the chance to get back in the wheel, and they got in the wheel, and then there's like a chicane, and. Um, Gee, I'm sure you're aware of this, that at the time, Pino, he was a little bit cautious in his descending, in his cornering. He had room to develop, let's say that. And uh, I thought, right, I'm going to go around the corners as fast as I can. And I kept just checking where it was and, and it came out the last corner. And it's had like 10 metres. So then it was just head down and uh, stuff like that. But yeah, I think just knowing the opposition, their strengths and the weaknesses, you can really exploit that, I think. It's amazing though how many people don't think like Steve or can't see things. There's so many dumb bike riders around. Like seriously. <laughs> like you'd be surprised. <laughs> Linus the penis being one of them. <laughs> That's right, he's I think, retired. I think I think part of part of the reason for that is because uh opportunities it come around quite pretty sparse really you know so when you when you do get an opportunity you have to be like really switched on to it and i think uh that's the interesting thing really that um because you get in in big teams especially you get really drawn into doing a specific role and often that role is you have to bring so and so to a point in the race and, and you you forget about what made you a professional in the first place which was probably winning and and, and if you do that for like 5 years or 10 years it's like all of a sudden you might get your chance, but you've forgotten what to race. You've forgotten how to race. You've forgotten how to race your bike anymore. You're just like a robot. So uh, that's like a really interesting thing for me that um, trying to keep that alive, really that spot. Because there's always a balance. Because you've got to do your work for the team, but yeah, you want to keep guys motivated as well. Like they they can win. Anyone can win. It's just on the right circumstances. So, G, we've we've been looking to fill a few positions in the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. I'm wondering um, if we should create a position for Steve. Um, and I'll suggest that we call it uh, Breakaway Guru. He could be the GTCC Breakaway Guru if any of our club members <laughs> have any breakaway questions. Maybe they can call you 
Steve. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to give out your number. Maybe they can do live breakaway guru chats in the middle of a race. Right, Cummings, what the hell do I do here? Yeah, I'm fully happy for that. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you his number now. It's 078253. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sweet. You're up for that then. Breakaway right, guru. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cheers, Steve. Thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, our new breakaway guru. Can I just say thank you as well? And it was a pleasure to uh, talk with you, G. <laughs> I feel like there was something sarcastic that you were going to follow up with there, Steve. That just sounded too, um, oh, too, too, too nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Thomas, week eight of this podcast and week eight of you using Zwift. What's new? Found anything? Yeah, I have. What I've started doing, G, is there's a rough window when I know I'm going to be able to train. So I just look on the events feed on the Zwift Companion app and I just try and pick out a training session that looks, I wouldn't say fun, that looks looks testing. And there's, there's always been a beauty on there every time I've tried it. There was one that was called anaerobic capacity into VO2 max. So a lot, all sorts of alarm bells were going off. Um, and it was brutal, but it was, it was, again, I was so impressed by how much or how hard I had to work. Like I was pedaling for about an hour. And it blew my doors off, I'll be <laughs> honest. It absolutely, absolutely blew my doors off in a good way. I was like draped over the handlebars by the end. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I find the same. Like, to be honest, I haven't done that many workouts on there, but I did one before. And it's exactly the same thing. Like, Or when you do a race, you know, suddenly you just try so much harder when you're on it. Like if I just go out on the road and you just do your effort, that's it, and you go home, you don't think too much about it. But suddenly when you've got other little little when you've got other bike riders around you you do uh push on a little bit more don't you you do definitely and if you're listening to this and you fancy trying swift just go to zwift.com to start your free trial you'll also be able to join our weekly gtcc group rides every wednesday at 6 p.m hope to see you there So in this section, we always try and give our listeners some tips around the subject we've been talking about. So if you're on Zwift, if you're out with your mates and you want to try and beat them to the set of traffic lights and you want to know when you should make your break, when you should chase one down, because it can get competitive. I mean, I'm asking this to you, G. I, I can't remember the last time I saw you in a break. <laughs> yeah, it, it's tough now, to be honest, because even when I'm not in great shape and I want to go in a break, which happened last year like generally after the tour when I've put a few kilos back on and haven't ridden too much but and <laughs> and I want to go in the break just to try and get a, a better workout people just don't let me go now like without sounding like all big-headed be like well we're not letting you go because you know it's gonna be harder to chase blah blah so yeah now these days if I want to work out I just I just have to ride the front of the peloton most of the time unless like we were saying with Steve you know it's rare that you can force a break and if the peloton don't want you going you're not going anywhere so that's my excuse anyway. Did you try and do one in, in a tour of Britain in 2018? So you've won the tour, to be fair to you, and then you've enjoyed winning the tour, again, to be fair to you. Wasn't there a stage early on in the, that tour of Britain where you, it was oh, almost yeah. like you'd forgotten how many burgers you'd had and you launched this break and then your, <laughs> then your gut went, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, it was more an attack at the end, to be fair, actually. And it was because it was the stage was in Wales. It was finishing in Newport. And I knew the climb perfect. I'd done it as a kid so many times. It goes up to, to Celtic Manor, the the hotel, just out on the outskirts of Newport. And it's a steep little thing, maybe only a K long. But I was like, oh, 
I've just got to attack here. No matter how I feel, you know, I'm on home roads, just won the tour, I'm going to attack. There's going to be plenty of people there. So I go. And uh, the, the first 30 seconds, it felt like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm going here. Like I've, who knows? You know, I could do something. And then suddenly 31 seconds and boom. Like, as you say, the gut <laughs> was wobbling. My legs just went to jelly. And uh, But then, as Steve was saying about the whole launch pad thing, some quick step guys, Bob Jungles, really good guy, really good rider. He used me as a launch pad. He went away with another guy. And then suddenly my team leader who wowed poles at the time is like, oh crap, well, I, I don't want this guy to stay away now. And it's only 8K to go or something and Bob's got a good gap. So then I was like, oh man, I've got to get back to the front now. And I was almost <laughs> spewing my guts up, managed to get to the front, do a couple of like turns on the front. And luckily we caught Bob with about a K to go. But um, yeah, wow, wow wasn't best, please. Kept calling it a good TV attack. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just had to, I just had to have a go, didn't I? But yeah, unfortunately I definitely didn't have the legs. Fair enough. So, so with all the knowledge that you, that you have from that doomed, uh, late surge and stuff that happens before you got really good, what are, what are the tips <laughs> for our listeners, for our club members? As you can probably tell from listening to this episode, it, so much can come into it and go right or go wrong. So it's just sensing it, sensing that moment, sensing that blood, you know, when, you know, like a shark, you know, you can sense that danger, you can sense people are tired. That's the time to go. Um, on a hard section as well, don't try going into, you know, a tailwind um, or even a flat headwind, you know. You want to go where, you know, you can get a gap and then, you know, build on it. But, um, yeah, you need a bit of a sixth sense and, and just try to... Be aware of who's around you as well. I think that's the, the biggest thing, you know. Be more shark. That's what I'm taking from this. Yeah, be more shark. Be more shark. Less sheep, more shark. Right, Chairman Tom, it's time for our weekly meeting. What business do you have for us this week? So usual circumstances this week. We're going to start with some appointments. First up this week, it's the GTCC official broom wagon. So, G, for someone who's getting into cycling for the first time, maybe hasn't watched that much, can you just explain for us what a broom wagon is and what sort of qualities we'll be looking for in this role? So, basically, the broom wagon is um, the van that drives behind the race where anybody that gets off and is unfortunate enough to get in their own team car jumps into the broom wagon. But then also the back group on the road, the gruppetto, the group that gets that finishes within the time limit, so just inside the time limit, so a certain percentage of the winner's time. That is also known as a broom wagon. So you can take, there's two sort of variants. I guess that's only popped into my head because of COVID now. But there's two varieties of, of the broom wagon. So I think we could have both. Well, the only person to put themselves forward so far, G, is Mark Griffith. He says he's half Welsh. I think that's meant to convince us to give him the job. What do you think? Should we give him the Gruppetto version of the broom wagon or shall we ask him to drive the van with literally the wooden broom stuck on the back? Yeah, I think we give him, he can drive the van then, can't he? I think that's a a bigger job, you know? It's boring, but if you're committed to the club, then you'll do it, you know? He might have aspirations to, to move on up the broom wagon ladder. <laughs> And become the Gruppetto man later on, but yeah. Okay, good shout. Our second appointment today is for the official GTCC club photographer. 
Now, Stuart Bridwell got in touch to say that our podcast, and this is good news, is helping him get through a crap start to 2021. He says, how about a club photographer? A couple of years ago, I completed a BA ONS degree in photography at the grand old age of 55. Stu, I think you're in. Gee, what do you reckon? Yeah, quality. I've absolutely no idea what a BA Hans degree is, but it sounds good. Sounds hard work. So good job, mate. And um, yeah, he's in. Photographer. We got one. Okay. Well, listen, we might end up with two because Chris Gams would also like to apply for the position of club photographer. He took a cracking action shot during the first group ride we had on Zwift um, and managed to do it without falling off his bike. It was you and him, G. So can that count as proof that he's decent? Yeah, I, yeah, that's fine. I'm all good with that. Right, Tom, we've also had a suggestion for an episode. Uh, I think it's clear that the listeners think we're out of ideas. Yeah, I saw this one too. This was Rowan Almond, wasn't it? He suggested an episode on fans. This was on our Facebook group. He says we should chat about the madness of following racists to stand roadside for hours just for a few minutes of high-speed blurry action. He talks about the joy of picking the perfect spot after a feed zone so you get loads of loot and the shock of how loud a peloton is as it flies past. He says, our son has learnt that the race is close when you can see the helicopters. So now, whenever a helicopter flies by, he thinks there's a bike race. Love that. I think it's a brilliant idea, G. I'm not sure we'll get it done this series because we've got some real bangers lined up. But, you know, if our GTCC members want a second series could this be one for that yeah most definitely i'm sure there's some uh yeah good fan stories out there maybe we could do a we don't need one guest maybe we just get like loads on it could be a bit chaos but who knows yeah like it proper fans maybe the producer might shoot me shoot me now don't suggest such a ridiculous idea (laughs) i've got to edit all that let's go for it nice idea okay well listen let's end today's meeting by discussing a couple of reviews that we've had on Apple Podcasts. Always nice to see your reviews, so please do leave us reviews if you fancy it. Now, I feel a bit weird about reading this one out, G, because it breaks one of the number one rules across social media, which is never... You know the thing about Twitter, never retweet praise. So I do hold my hand up here, and we are going to read out a couple of nice reviews. It makes me feel a bit weird. I am going to blame... um, our secretary, Louise Gwilliam. But anyway, we did have a really nice one from the Otley Grenadier, who says, The GTCC is simply outstanding, giving great insights into the real world of cycling. So refreshing to listen to a world-class athlete. I imagine this is you rather than me, uh, G, that the Otley Grenadier is referring to there. Coming across like a normal, everyday guy and then Cavano says tf definitely me keeping matters on track while g provides the insight and that's fair g good balance from Cavano. they've got that right haven't they yeah i definitely agree with that so does eddie barracuda did i say that right is that right i think so yeah barracuda barracuda okay, cool barracuda who says tim's great for keeping the pod structured and professional are we saying that's a typo or are we calling you tim from now on <laughs> With all due respect to every GTCC club member called Tim, I would rather be a Tom than a Tim. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to stick with the O rather than having the I. And also, G, Race with Wiltshire has asked what's happened to Luke Rowe. He says, much more professional mind. Now, do you think that means that the mind that we have is more professional? Or is he saying it in a slightly Welsh way, like, oh, a much more professional mind? Uh... I don't know, yeah, is he saying Luke's more professional than us? Because if he is, I, he must be drunk, this guy. 
because <laughs> Luke is not more professional than us. Um, but yeah, don't fear. Luke is, well, still here. He was obviously on our wind episode. So um, yeah, we haven't forgotten him. Yeah, there's just a few more interesting people out there than than old Luke Rowe, but he's still around, don't fear not. And if you fancy listening to another pod on your rides this week, Tom, what can our listeners try out? Yeah, how about this one, G? How about Death of a Sports Star? It's presented by the legendary Elroy Spoonface Powell. You can check out episodes about Kobe Bryant, about Payne Stewart, Marco Pantani, Flojo, John Alomu, and more. There's a new episode out every Monday. Just search for Death of a Sports Star. So that, G, is any other business for this week. That's the end of my chairman's duties for this week. It's also the end of the pod. It's been nice talking all things cycling with you again. I'll see you same place next week. Yeah, cheers. Bye-bye. That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to our broom wagon, Mark, our club photographers, Chris and Stuart, to our club secretary and producer, Louise Gwilliam, our head of music, Emma Hickman, treasurer Diane Barker and our honorary president Mike Carr and of course to you for listening we'll see you next time crowd network a place where you belong <laughs>